The Poorly Made Police podcast is for entertainment purposes only. This podcast has explicit content and is meant for mature audience. The views expressed on this poorly made podcast reflect the opinions of the guest and host. They do not reflect the opinion of any department or entity. Nothing on this poorly made podcast should be construed as legal or marital advice. If something offends you, I kindly invite you to lighten the fuck up. If you want to support this very poorly made podcast, click the link at the end of the description and become a monthly sponsor of the podcast. Or buy yourself some nice poorly made police memes merch. Not only does it look good on you, it's also a favorite of wives, exes, children, nurses, nuns, IA investigators, defense attorneys, and the chief. And of course, take care of the fine sponsors of this podcast. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the orgasmic sound of a Crown Vic. That is not poorly made. Oh, hey there. How do you guys like the new intro song? I think it's cool. I thought the intro was missing a little something. So here we are. Well, welcome to the Sex Dungeon for episode 53 of the Very Poorly Made Police Memes podcast. Uh, today, kind of sucked. My uh, pipe froze in my yard and it's cold out. And uh, it wasn't a great morning, but what made the morning a little better as i talked to my pal james who's a cop out in oregon and uh he's a good dude you guys will enjoy this conversation it was a little shorter than most of the other podcasts part of that was because of the pipes freezing and i had to deal with all that and then other nature problems but you'll listen to the podcast and you'll find out about that a couple things to uh talk about before we get into the podcast real quick so i wanted to be open and transparent as our leaders in law enforcement would say, uh, about some things coming up on the podcast. Basically, just wanted to give everybody a heads up. So in listening to some other podcasts and how they do things and talking to some of my peers, and just to be honest, I, you know, I'm trying to make a little a living here doing this podcast, I'm going to change the way the advertisements go a little bit. So there's going to be some advertisements in the middle of the podcast, potentially down the road. I'm not going to try and you know fill the whole podcast up with advertisements. For instance, uh, I listened to the uh, Dr. Drew and Adam Carolla podcast, and it seems like really the first five minutes of that fucking thing are advertisements. I'm not going to put five minutes of advertisements in the podcast, but there are going to be advertisements in there. The folks I work with, the people I advertise with are small businesses, so I know those dudes don't have like a huge advertising budget. I'm not trying to rip these dudes off, and... You know, I'm not looking to get like Pepsi or fucking Geico or some crazy shit sponsoring the podcast. I'd much rather, even at a lower cost, have regular dudes with small businesses and try and help them out and they can help me out. So when you guys hear that, don't be fucking alarmed. If you think I'm a sellout, go fuck yourself. I'm trying to make a living and I basically put this podcast out for free. So if you can't handle an ad, then I don't know what to tell you. But uh, I feel like most of you guys are pretty reasonable and that won't be a big issue. I wanted to give you guys a heads up on a podcast that's coming up in the next few weeks. The Valentine's podcast, which I think comes out like a day or two before Valentine's Day, 
is going to be uh, another version of the relationship episode. The guest on that is going to be Dispatcher Mo. You heard it here first. Dispatcher Mo will be joining, and we're going to be solving all your relationship problems. So it's going to be a little different than the last time we did it. The last time I did that podcast, basically, people wrote in questions or, or whatever. We're still going to do some of that, but if you have a question and you want to actually be on the podcast, if you can come on when we're recording, then you can come on the podcast. So if you have a relationship issue and you want to be on the podcast, send me a message, email me, let me know. Um, it'll be, I think, the 11th of February is when I'm recording. I'm not totally sure on that. But coming up pretty soon. So if you want to be part of that, you got to let me know soon so I can start getting that together because that's going to be a huge pain in my ass. But I think it'll be a good pain in my ass. That's that's what he said or she said. Anyway, oh yeah, I almost forgot to mention with the whole yard flood business, I'm going to throw up a promo code on my uh, merch. So if you want to go buy some merch and uh, <laughs> help me pay for my fucking lawn being destroyed and the pipe being fixed, you can put in the code F. ML22 FML22 and you'll get a, a nice little discount on your merch. I'm going to run that for like a week, so check it out. All right, without further ado, let's get to the band and then to the podcast. This episode, the band is Catch the Light and their song is Castle Gates. You can check out those dudes over on Facebook, Spotify, YouTube, all that good shit. Here's some metal, and then we'll be right back with the podcast. All right, and then the moment you've probably all been waiting for, hopefully been on, all waiting for, you're just listening to this for no reason. I've got James on the horn. He is a cop out in Oregon. How are you this early fucking morning? I'm good. Uh, not drinking like uh, normal on your podcast. I have to work in a couple hours. Yeah, I'm uh, also not drinking. It's uh, very early in the morning and a pipe burst in my yard. And so I'm sober and angry which is probably a good combination too so this will be fun by the way i'm all drink yeah it does sound like a reason to drink by the way i'll probably have a promo code on my merch so you guys can pay for my yard work thank you but anyway enough about me and my fucking pipe so you're you're cop out in the once great state of oregon is that correct yeah once great state is is correct now i i don't I have a bad memory. I don't think I've talked to anybody from Oregon yet, but it kind of depends on where you are in the state where the Eastern half of Oregon is more normal and where the Western half of Oregon, it's kind of everything. It's out of mm-hmm. control. Is that, is that a fair assumption about Oregon? Yeah. Except for just like any other state, whatever happens, uh, you know, affects the whole state and our case law is just super fucked right now. So, well, you guys but- have the whole, uh, possession thing is not even a thing anymore right like the whole joke they're not my pants is actually a defense in oregon right uh that was washington so they made it like oh my bad we uh we just decriminalized it so so here's how it works like basically so 
we have, I don't, I don't know how it works in every other state. We have violations and crimes. So violations are basically, you know, traffic parking, stuff like that. It's whatever. And um, so that's what they made uh, drug possession under certain amounts. Um, and so literally like that throws out all your searching. So like if I come across and I see, say, I don't know, uh, a little, some, some heroin just sitting on their seat, I can go in and seize that as contraband, but I can't search the car anymore because it's not a crime. So I don't even have <laughs> mobile vehicle obsession. Jeez, yeah, it's right. And, and then and then it's we used to have, um, you know, levels of like most places, levels of crimes. So, you know, a, a through C felonies, A through C misdemeanors and then A through D violations. Well, they created a new lower, like the most the lowest level of violation ever for for drugs, which is an E violation. It's a hundred dollar fine and you give them their this this ticket. And, if, and it's literally less than a parking ticket. Like the state parking tickets, $115. The open containers, like uh, I think 125 or something, or maybe 200, I, I can't remember. And then there's freaking the drugs, which is a hundred bucks. And then you give them this card and they can call and talk to a counselor on the phone if they want, even if they decline services just to get that waived. It's stupid. So no one really does anything with drugs anymore. How that's, <laughs> I do remember reading about that. Sorry, I get the other thing confused, but it's one in the same, essentially. Basically, yeah. <laughs> and that that was all last year, right? Yeah. So, and the amounts are stupid too. Like, you can have like, uh, I think thirty nine tabs of acid is a violation, and forty though forty makes it the the crime. <laughs> so it's just hey, stupid. I mean, thirty nine. I think it's like, me. yeah, yeah. And it's the same. I don't even know all the amounts because most of us don't care. I mean, I still gotten a couple bus uh, for drugs on on stuff, but it's usually like, you know, I get a stolen car and I'm searching it and I find a whole shit ton of meth. And I'm like, oh, this is more than I think it's like three grams is the violation. And then it's the then it's the misdemeanor, but it's still just a misdemeanor, not even a felony unless they're uh, like just a ridiculous amount or they're or you can prove they're trafficking it. But even that now they're pushing us to for distribution you have to like almost see the actual handoff you can't even do it by scales or baggies anymore and they're like well that could just be a coincidence so <laughs> it's yeah uh, dope is basically classic. dead unless they're doing the freaking you know all the dope teams are mostly mostly focusing on you know the 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 drug organizations and trafficking stuff the rest of it it's just i mean you're going to get it on a dui or you're going to get it if you get a criminal level of dope, it's going to be part of something else. It's, you know, or you have to do a buy bust. I mean, that's about the only way to do it now. I gotcha. So, now, what was the rationale that the, your leaders in Oregon, and I'm going to use air quotes <laughs> in Oregon. What was the rationale behind the decriminalization? Are they saying like cops are just picking on people for that? Or what, what are they saying? Well, they wanted it to be, I mean, like a lot of things that had semi good intentions, but just, you know, politicians just fuck it up. So it, it was supposed to be to get them rehab beds instead. But the problem was we don't like I think Oregon ranks like the like 50th in terms of uh, 50 of 50 states in terms of amount of rehab beds we had. So like literally this money and these fines was supposed to to refer them to these rehab beds instead of going to jail. But there, there's no there's no beds for them. There's no rehab and there was no teeth to it. And they thought that, you know, these addicts would just, uh, you know, take that instead of the hundred dollar fine. But they're, most of what they're doing is just taking the hundred dollar fine or, and not paying it. Cause then also they're likely not even going to get a warrant for that. And if they're you know homeless, they're just going to disappear and throw it on the pile of tickets they have. And there's no, there's nothing. 
I think they did a study a couple of months ago that came out that in the year since this, this whole decriminalization bill uh, went into effect, which was February of last year. So it's been a whole year now. Um, I think at least when the study came out the first six months or seven months, whatever, at the end of it, it was like four people actually called that number and like the whole like region or state or something. And <laughs> all of those, and all of those people were already in count, like drug counseling of some kind. So it was already people who were working on it and got, you know, just had a slip up in their addiction. And so they're already, they're trying to get clean. Although those are the only ones who did it. And then, I mean, most of us just do with it. Like you do with any violation. Now it's just like, you know, half the time you arrest someone, if it's just a small amount, I'll just be like, all right, man, I'm cutting you a break and I'm going to just seize this for destruction. Here's your receipt. And then they never are, you know, when they're going to jail for something else. Cause it's like, why do all that paperwork for what's literally less than a freaking parking ticket? Like it's, it's literally a better use of my time to go out and write fucking parking tickets all day than look for drugs, uh, you know, user amounts. You know, it's a weird thing. I'm in a sense, when I think about the drug stuff, I'm like, okay, well, I, and I'm not saying I'm a libertarian, but I, on some stuff, I have a libertarian point of view, like, just do what you're going to do as long as it doesn't hurt people. So on face value, if you're like, well, decriminalize drugs. That sounds great on face value. Okay, people are going out and doing right. their own thing. However, that's not what happens. People are, you know, essentially because of the way we've uh, decriminalized things. And I'm not saying the system was perfect before. Don't don't think, oh, he thought that was great to lock up somebody for having some weed. Now, if you have a little bit of weed or a user's amount of meth, going to jail is not going to solve your problem. You know, there's that whole your debt to society, but an addict mm -hmm. going to jail for a couple of days for having a little bit of weed all or a little bit. We'll just use meth. They're going to go right back out and use meth again. So we could yeah. we can do better as a society. I'm not saying we can't, but people we take went these, way like, too far the other way yeah exactly people take these hard line stances on things but then they don't think about the gray area of things like oh yeah uh people if they want to do math on their own that's on them but it doesn't work that way those people cause other problems within our society mm -hmm. our quote-unquote system whether that's they can't pay for their medical bills they sleep yeah. out in public they steal shit to feed their addiction Oh, our thefts are, are through the fucking roof right now everywhere. I mean, catalytic convert it, and it's all it's all this. They're all feeding that and plus the whole defunding shit. And so they're just people are getting away with everything and just theft is through the roof. And then they're coming to places like mine where we actually try to go after criminals. And but, you know, you can't keep up with the freaking bleed over from Portland. So, yeah, it's people just don't understand the cause an effective thing. Like I'm generally a believer of leave people alone. Like, yeah, not to go like way in the left field, but like gay marriage and stuff, who, who cares, whatever they do in their exactly. house, who cares that, but that literally has no effect on anyone else. Drugs that has an effect on a ton of other people. And yeah. nobody, nobody thinks it that way. And I, I don't know what, I don't know what the solution is. And I'm, I don't think we're going to dedicate the whole podcast. to what are we going to no. do about the drug crisis? Because yeah, that's no fun. But I, like I said, they meant well, this isn't the think, solution. Yeah, no, what, what would have worked a lot better. A lot of us have talked about it. Like, Hey, I get it. You don't want to put user level amounts in, in jail. You want them to get to rehab. So I was like, well, why didn't we just, instead of making a freaking violation less than a parking ticket, why don't you create a new category of misdemeanor? that is not jailable by itself the first time. So you pull up, you see it, it's still a crime. 
here's your citation, but it's a, it's a shall appear. If you don't appear, there'll be a warrant and it's a citation drug court. I'm like, okay, why don't we do that? So there's at least some, some teeth to make people go and get ordered by a judge to go to rehab. So you can actually get those like, okay, cool. I can't take you to jail, but here's your citation, you know, by yourself. I was like, that would have made a whole lot more sense. But of course they never asked the cops, you know, what, what a better solution where we, we weren't even invited to the table on that one. So, yeah. And then all these other, you know, laws that are supposed to protect the, you know, your bottom line user. When you see heroin in a car, which let's be honest, a trafficker is not going to have heroin open in the car, but it deters you right from doing police work. So maybe a car you would have stopped that might've had a trafficker in it. And maybe you would have been able to get into that car. You're like, nah, fuck it. And then it's not even worth it anymore. Oh yeah. Well, and then we just, we just lost like probably 75% of the mobile vehicle exception, like two weeks ago from a case law where basically they, they, you know, just to give you the short version, the, the case was someone got stopped they had, I think, warrants or some other crime. And as a part of that, a dog hit on the car or, or something. And so they had PC to search the car and it was it was parked. Well, this, our, our uh, you know, lovely courts just decided that, well, because the car was parked and all the occupants were on their way to jail, the vehicle wasn't mobile anymore and they should have gotten a warrant. And so basically we're trying to figure out what that means. Like, OK, so if we're not taking them to jail, can I still search the car or no? Or do I have to get a warrant on? on every freaking mobile vehicle now. Like, so we're trying to that figure is out what confusing that means. That was, as shit. Yeah. Because so if, a lot of places are oh. just like, well, I guess we just don't have a mobile vehicle anymore. And I'm like, no, you still do. <laughs> like we just, if it's just, if I, okay, fine. If it's lawfully parked and that's what it was in a parking lot or something. I was like, read the, you know, I, I listen to the street crimes podcast stuff too. And I'm like, listen, like you actually, you actually have to read the decision to see what they meant. It's not that mobile vehicle went away. It's that basically they handcuffed it, but it still exists in limited times. And I'm like, because basically they were trying to say that they had time to write a warrant since the guys were going to jail and the car was parked. I'm like, okay, cool. They had the four hours or whatever it would take, but I'm like, okay, so if any of those factors aren't there, we still can do it. But you know, you know, cops are, they're all like, well, no, we just don't have it anymore. And so Dude, even you, my- <laughs> you hit the nail on the head, right? If something goes away or something seems like it goes away and what's shitty. And I can only speak to my experience is departments will do that. Like it'll come down from your department. Oh, Hey, they took it away. Mm-hmm. And then you actually yourself, you read through whatever it is, the, the actual ruling. And you're like, no, that's you guys didn't even, did you guys read this? Yeah. And we're all still debating it while we're waiting for the, the DOJ, uh, the Oregon DOJ, um, you know, prosecutors to basically weigh on it and they haven't yet. So, cause they're still confused. And so we're like, okay, like the lawyers are confused. How are we supposed to figure this out? And now they're starting to be like, well, and we think that I think one of the things that came out was like, oh, and we're guessing that, um, you know, search incident to arrest is next. And so some people are like, well, we can't do that anymore. I'm like, no, 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 that, that they were just saying that they think that's next. We haven't lost that yet, guys. Like, stop. We don't need to write a warrant on every fucking thing. You know, like if a guy runs, from a store in a shop if i can still search him like come on like don't just because someone thinks it's going away next doesn't mean like still do our jobs so well the other thing too is guys don't want to be the next case law some actually some dudes yeah. don't give a fuck but a lot of guys are like god i don't want to get caught up in some safe law or some safe law i don't want to get caught up on ca- in some case law and i don't want to go to state court or federal court i'm just gonna fucking play this one safe and punt it down the road to mm-hmm. somebody else yeah, I personally am more of in the I'm in the middle. Like if I 
if I'm in case law, but I was doing my job in good faith and I wasn't, you know, trying to push it too far. I, I, okay. I'll, I'll take that. I mean, I, I don't want to be the guy who was sitting there going, Oh, this is iffy. I'm going to do it anyway. But if I'm just doing my job the way it's supposed to be and the freaking crazy courts decided to, to do something crazy, then so be it. I mean, it's happening. It's all happening no matter what. what we yeah. do now. So I'm just going to go out and try to do my job the best I can. So that's real. I, unfortunately with the, environment the last two years i think it's really taken away are you playing with handcuffs me yeah i swear i heard handcuffs in the background no i think it was my uh i'm dude i'm like sitting outside trying not to wake my kid up so i'm I'm all bundled up and i think it was the the mic on my headphones hitting the zipper on my freaking jacket here so or you're unzipping your pants which is hey man i get excited when i talk case law too it's fine case law and crown vix man i'm all ready to go i'm getting i'm getting hot unlike my busted water pipe but anyway (laughs) um but back to the environment i think it's kind of bred for right or wrong this mentality within police work and from what my observations were were guys that would normally i wouldn't say push the envelope but they would definitely like what you said they would hey i know case law i'm comfortable with case law i understand case law i know i'm doing the right thing where it kind of creeps into your head like well I think I understand case law, but all this is changing and is it worth it anymore? And so that's mm-hmm. why, and I won't, I, I don't want to say pushing the envelope, but cause you definitely had guys that were way far that really fucking pushed the envelope. But then you had guys yeah. that were within case law that I wouldn't even say it's pushing the envelope. They were just doing what they believed was right. And they were doing it in good faith. So I don't know. Yeah. And then it gets the guys, you know, who were, I don't even blame them anymore. You know, the, the people that are, you know, within five, six years of retirement who used to be, you know, go getters and door kickers, they're all, they're all just sitting waiting on calls, you know, and, and, you know, we have them, everyone has them. And, you know, you sit there and wonder what happened, but you see all this happening and good cops getting dragged through the mud and, and lawsuits and shit. And so it's like, I, I don't even blame them. And most of the time, I'm like, you know what, honestly, as long as, as long as you take your calls for service and you back me up, I'm, I'm good with you. I'm good with them as long as they freaking answer their calls and back me up. Cause you know, you just, that no one wants to be, especially when you're getting close to retirement, you don't want to be drugged into a lawsuit or case law or something, you know, when you're trying to enjoy your Mai Tais on the beach, you know, to retirement. So I don't, I don't even blame them anymore. So, well, I think that's a rookie thing is you get mad at the old dudes. But you never take that into account. Like, hold on. They've fucking seen their shit. They've done all this fucking crazy shit over years. Just let them fucking ride out into the sunset. Well, they're not out there humping calls. They're not busting ass. That's your job now. Mm -hmm. It's their turn. I mean, as long, like I said, as as long as they're answering their calls for service or backing you up, man, I mean, you know, don't, don't just waste space. But, you know, I, I, so I had a break from law enforcement for a bit with, with some stuff and was working corporate world and, and then I came back. And so I, I left when drugs were still legal, when we could still chase people. And in just a couple of years here, everything changed. And so first I came back thinking, okay, yeah, I'm ready to, I'm ready to do this just like I was doing before. And then all these guys, you know, at first I'm like, why aren't they doing anything? And a couple of them had to kind of pull me aside and be like, listen, bro, like everything has changed in the, like two and a half years you were gone. This is where we're at now. And I got to see the reality and kind of slow my role and figure out how, how can I still be you know, go out and be semi-proactive, but also not burn myself out like I did last time and, and kind of watch those guys. So yeah, it, it took me a minute, but. Well, let's, let's do that, man. Let's kind of switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about your career. So how long have you been a cop for? Uh, that's a complicated question. So <laughs> I started, uh, 
fucking 12 years ago now almost uh so i started in in late 2010 and, and back then that was when you know you 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 smoked weed once or you know talked back to your kindergarten teacher and you're gonna have a side eye on your background you know and and that you know i think the first department i applied to back in like 2009 there was 500 people and i'm a, everywhere i went those same 500 people you know and so I, I ended up taking, I, I didn't know any better. I was, uh, I worked freaking at the time I was just out of college. I was working fucking collections at a, at a credit union and hated my life and, you know, decided I want to be a cop. So I took the first offer that came and it happened to be this tribal agency that I knew nothing about, except for they got into pursuits all the time and it sounded like fun. And, and so like, literally I, I got the job and I left my banking job on a Friday and, and Monday morning, they're like, all right here's a gun and badge. It was tribal. So they could do things different. They're like, you're going to go to Academy in like seven, eight months. We're going to start your field training. Um, here's how to handcuff somebody. Here's how to shoot a gun. I, I didn't have like any of that. I grew up like suburb, suburban kid. I, I barely had, I mean, maybe a 22 rifle. I didn't even know how to shoot a handgun. So they had to teach me all that. And then within like my first three hours, you know, it was like an hour after I did my first handcuffing class, my field, my FTO and I are just, I forget what we even saw the guy for or whatever. He had a warrant or something. He's like, all right, rookie, cuff him up. And, you know, and so I literally doing that. And this, this tribal place was crazy, man. I mean, we didn't, we didn't have animal control. So like, and there's just wild dogs everywhere. So we, and, and horses and shit. So like, you know, a horse gets hit by a car. We had to put it down. A dog bites another dog or a person. We had to put them down. There's just, there was, it was just, it was crazy. And a lot of the guys there, it was, it was like me. So you had, you had ten, two kind of cops there at this agency. You had, you had the rookies who were just trying to, you know, took the first job they could and didn't know any better or the guys who had a background that was shady and couldn't get on anywhere else. And, you know, so all those rookies, we were, we were getting out of there as soon as we could. Um, you know, the, I think, we didn't even have certified FTOs. The FTOs were, were just people who had made it through Academy and off probation. So, and they'd be like, Hey, you're an FTO, take this rookie. So how big um, was that? How big was that department? How many guys? We probably 35 sworn or something like that. I don't know. And we only had, it was a population of like 4,000 people, but it was just, it was just busy. I mean, at the time it was, uh, they, they had a higher crime per capita than, than like Portland. And, you know, it was gangland. We had drive-by shootings all the time. Um, literally like two weeks before I started, there was this huge, or yeah, it was, it was a couple months before I started, there was a shootout with these couple guys in the, in the, in our department. And then two weeks before I started, um, cause one of the guys had gotten away, they got into a second shootout with them with the freaking U S marshals there on, on the, on the res. And so, you know, the shootout with this guy, and this is two weeks after I, you're right before I started. So, you know, I'm, I'm walking into this and there's drive-by shootings every day and, and people just getting freaking, you know, gang members getting, getting smoked all the time. And just, so, I mean, I'm like this naive kid walking into this and, oh, it's only 4,000 people, but it, I mean, you just arrested the same people over and over again. It was, it was like, I don't know, almost South central, like crazy, you know, that, man, that kind of thing. Yeah. It, I have, I've talked to a few dudes from the res. Can we say res? Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah, okay. we call it the I, res. Yeah. I don't even know what the. I, I don't know anything, if every but... place does that, but the one I worked at, they they called well, it, they 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 wanted it. They called it the res, and they called themselves Indians. And if you said if you were to be like, especially me, I'm 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 white, and if I was to be like, oh hey, you're a Native American, they'd be like, fuck you, I'm Indian. Like, you don't get to tell me what what I am. And so I was just like, all right, that's that's I'm gonna you know just use whatever you say. So, well, it's. <laughs> You know, I watch Letterkenny, obviously. Um, you guys may or may not know that I watch that show. 
so they call it the res and i was like i don't know is that a slang term or or what because who fucking knows I, I don't even know anymore i don't even know like yeah. me and my friend were talking about that the other day like you just you don't even know like what you can say or what you can't say and you can't keep up with it because the the goalpost is always moving but anyway but i i would probably i'll probably do like a whole episode um with a reservation cop because it's a lot i would assume now that you're not on the reservation anymore it's a lot different than policing out in a county or a city right or is it pretty similar um i mean i had to go through the same state academy because in oregon there's one academy you can only go if you've been hired by somewhere but basically so we have lots of reservations in oregon but only i think only one or two of them are able to use their own laws the rest use oregon laws so the one i worked at was a lot like any other big res where you, you had tribal law so if i pulled over i mean here's just one crazy thing so the law you enforced was based on race. So if I pulled over like, like uh, a res member on this, on the highway that ran through the, the res, I, and you know, for, for say DUI, right. I, I would charge them under tribal law, take them to tribal jail. And our, at the time tribal uh, BAC was 0.10. But then if it was like a non-tribal member just traveling through, but they were DUI, I would have to charge them under state law, take them to County and do 08. So, I mean, it literally, I'd have to ask people like, Hey, are you a tribal member? And they'd be like, what's my race have to do with anything? And I'd be like, it depends what jail I'm taking you to and what set of laws I'm charging you under. So that, that was just crazy stuff, you know? And then it got even more complicated. If like, you know, you get a domestic between, you know, a married couple and one's a tribal member and one's not, and then they have kids and depends. Okay. Who's the aggressor. Okay what's their race. Okay. That's what, that's what I got to charge them under. And if it got bad enough, you just take it federal. So and you start calling it. yeah. Like if, if, if they beat them with like, like literally this happened, you know, someone, someone beats the other one with a freaking two by four. Okay. And they like significant injury. Well, that's beyond, you know, the tribal law stuff. Um, and not to get too much into the weeds on that, but tribal, if you're tribal crimes can only be misdemeanors. So, um, you can, uh, if you need to go like a true federal felon or federal true felony, you're going to go federal with it. And so they might get charged with the simple assault tribal and get hit with the federal, you know, assault with a deadly weapon. And then, and we had, uh, detectives that had to be, they were deputized by the marshals and a couple by the FBI so that they wouldn't have to call, you know, the FBI just to come out for a domestic assault on the res. So then these detectives would come out who were cross-trained and take over. So that crazy world, man. sounds horrendous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was a lot of good experience in some ways, though. I mean, I feel like I got into tons of pursuits, uh, tons like foot and vehicle pursuits just all the time. Like I said, the drive by shootings, just all this stuff that, you know, really you might only get in a big department, um, but it happened to the smaller ones. So it just happened all the freaking time. And you're just, just going call to call sometimes. Um doing that and then i I just i have that experience uh to to draw back on whenever things go sideways at my nice little suburban department so nice so how long were you there for uh so i was there about a year and a half um and then and then you want me you want to talk about the 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 stuff that happened there yeah if you're comfortable i mean yeah it's all it's all way back so so uh i I wanted to be a detective i thought that would be the coolest thing and so this is back when all drugs were illegal, even uh, marijuana. 
and especially on a res that's federal. So even if they people who had their, their medical card that didn't work there, I mean, yeah, we didn't really charge that too much, but either way we could still deal with marijuana stuff. And so the, the guys, the detectives were like, Hey, if, if you want to be a detective, you need to start working, you know, your own cases too. um, just run them by us and we'll make sure we don't want to take it from you. But, you know, if you want to do, you know, narcotics back then, they're like, narcotics is the way to, you know, for the detectives. And if only they knew, but what was coming, but, uh, you know, that's what they're saying. And they're like, Hey, so, you know, if you get a tip, run it by us and we'll let you know, you know, we'll probably let you work the smart stuff. So we, a couple of us newer guys on patrol, we got this tip that there was like a weed dealer in this town. And so, and we ran it by the, by the dicks and they were like, Hey, you can, you guys just run with this. We're not interested. Just let us know if you want any tips. They gave some tips on how to set up a buy bus and all that. And so I wasn't even like the lead on this. It was this other, this other guy. And, um, so we're sitting there and uh, we set up this whole buy bust. Um, we never, we didn't know what this guy looked like or anything. And in, in the, the guy, the CI who had never met him and just had the number. And so he set up this, this bust and we're sitting there waiting for the, the weed dealer to come. And, and I don't remember how much, I mean, it was more than a joint, but you know, it was, it was, like I said, it was going to be less than what the, the, the detectives wanted. So, you know, as a, a small significant amount, I don't, I don't remember, but so he's, he's coming over. And we're waiting and waiting for this dealer. And then all of a sudden, um, one of our sergeants rolls up in his personal car. And uh, I'm like, what's up, Sarge? And he's like, not much. I uh, just wanted to check on your uh, drug deal here and, and make sure you guys are good. You guys need anything? And we're like, no, you're, we're good. We're waiting on the dealer. So he's like, okay, cool. And then he leaves and the dealer never shows. And I'm like, I look over at the guys who set this up. And there's only like three of us who knew about this thing. And uh, we're like, did anyone tell this? It wasn't even our sergeant. It was from another shift. And we're like, did anyone tell um, that sergeant that we were doing this? And they're like, no, I didn't. Did you, you know, all kind of, you know, like the, the Spider-Man thing. We're all pointing at each other, you know, in the middle. Like, did you tell him? Did you tell him? You know? <laughs> yeah. And, and all of us were like, no. And, and so I, I, uh, I'd been there about a year, a little bit over a year. Uh, you know, I was getting close to a year and a half at that point. And I was like, it, there was just a lot of shady sh- shit that was going on there all the time. And, and uh, I was trying to apply out. I, I, I so I just, uh, you know, I was young. I was in my early twenties and just had a mouth on me. So I, I, I didn't know that discretion was a better part of valor yet. So I just said what was on my mind, and I was just like, did, did, do you think he was the dealer? I mean, this is weird, right? And a couple of guys kind of gave me a look, like, no, no, not him. Like he's a cool guy, you know, whatever. And I'm like, I don't know, man. I just feel like maybe he was the dealer because that's just weird. The dealer never shows, and then he shows up, and no one ever fucking told him about this, and he shows up within about 10 minutes of when the dealer's supposed to show, you know, and, and he lived, oh yeah. And he lived in that fucking neighborhood. So that we were, you know, where this dealer supposedly was. And so we're like this, I don't know. So I, I didn't even like officially report it. I just mentioned it to those guys. And then um, our Sergeant who knew about this op, I, I happened to mention it to him and was like, Hey, I, I don't know if this means anything, but this is just kind of a weird thing. And then I didn't think anything of it. But then a couple months later, um, all of a sudden I get pulled into, uh, this meeting. Like, I think I was on, on midnights or graves or whatever, and we would get off at 7am and we would do a briefing for the on- oncoming day shift. We were on 12 hours. So we would do a briefing, pass everything and then go home. And then right after briefing, uh, the, uh, freaking, uh, like Lieutenant who's like, Hey, I need to talk to you for a minute. I get pulled in this meeting and him and this detective are sitting down with me. And they're like, hey, you're being IA'd right now. And I'm like, what the fuck for? And they start talking about some DUI I did. And they're like, yeah, this DUI you did, 
um, one of the other guys on there is saying that, you know, you, you didn't actually, it was on, on the field sobriety stuff that the guy was, I mean, I think the guy was like a 0.24 one eight or something super high and he couldn't follow my pen. And so I kept having to start over. And so I put that in my report and they're like, well, the two other guys that were there are saying that, that, that part never happened, that he never stopped following your pen. And I'm like, what? You know, one of those things like, why would I even need to lie about that? The dude's like a two, four and fall down drunk. And what are you talking? And so they just literally turned this whole thing. They're like, do you want to take a, a polygraph? And I'm like, yeah, I'll take a polygraph. And then they're like, okay, well, don't talk about this with anyone. We'll get back to you when we can schedule that a polygraph. So I'm like, all right, cool. So I go back to work. And then a, like a month later, I get pulled in again and they're talking about like little things like that, you know, and, and they're like, Hey, so this, this case, and then this other case where you stopped a guy who pulled over suddenly and, and uh, looked like his car broke down. We don't think you actually meant that when you said that on the air, you know, literally trying to say that I was lying about little shit. I would have no reason to lie about. And I'm like, what, what is this about? And I can never figure it out. And tribal, you have no union. So they basically were like, well, we think you lied. So we need your gun and badge. And they sent me home two days later, I come in and the chief's like, yeah, I'm firing you. And I'm like, Oh, what the fuck? So I, I got fired and I didn't know why. And so I, I took a few years off and then I started uh, applying at some other places and uh, decided to come back and then um, worked at uh, one of the places I applied at. So Oregon doesn't do polygraphs, but Washington state does. So I applied at a couple of places up there and as part of their backgrounds, they did a polygraph. And so um, they asked me all this and obviously I got cleared of that. And even though I didn't move on with those agencies, our background investigators in Oregon can look at those polygraphs. So I ended up getting hired because they were like, oh, cool, you're clear. State certification board was fine. I never could figure out what, what this fucking thing was about. So then going back to this dealer thing, I'm working and, uh, at my next department. So not the department I'm at now, but uh, my second department. And, uh, um, and I hear that the FBI popped that fucking sergeant at the res still for dealing on duty and uh, for he, marijuana, but still, it was still federally illegal. They got him for, um, I think that he, they had an agent literally texting him, setting up a buy. And then they had um, a detective or in the briefing, literally watching the Sergeant respond to him, setting up this fucking buy. And then he meets up for him literally in uniform in his patrol car to do the buy and got popped for that. And so, then I was uh, sitting there reading that and I, that's when the light bulb clicked. I'm like, Oh, that's why they went after me so hard. Cause I never could figure out why they tried to turn this nothing burger into this whole, like, Oh, you lied and all this other stuff. And that, that was what it fucking was, was when I went and told a couple people that I thought the Sergeant was dealing and they fucking turned it into that. And sure enough, five years later, he got popped and he got convicted of it. And, um, yeah, his excuse basically was like, well, I knew it would be legal anyway someday, so why not deal? <laughs> Dude, what the <laughs> fuck, man? Yeah. Now, I made a meme yesterday about, you know, the guys that get fired and they're like, yeah, they just went after me. The unfortunate part is shit like your story, that shit like that happens, man. And, yeah. you know, people are yeah. like, cops aren't, you know, trying to fight corrupt cops and shit. And, like I it didn't seem, even it's not like it's a report. simple solution, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, and yeah. even, even with what you had, like, it wasn't like you had enough to go charge him or anything. It was just like, huh, that's no. weird. And you said it to your buddies and then, you know, maybe one of them was in on it. And then all of a sudden all this other shit flies up. I don't oh know. yeah. Oh yeah. I a hundred percent think one of those guys was in on it because he, he has since then had a shady career and been fired from multiple agencies and, 
barely kept a certification always seems to skirt by on something. I, and I think even at one place uh, he got uh, investigated for like uh, some kind of date rape and they, they didn't have enough to, to charge him, but it was enough that they ended his probationary period. Like super, that was one of the buddies that was there that day. And he was, he's super shady since. And so I'm like, I, I'm convinced me without, you know, without any proof, but I'm convinced he had to have been in on that. Cause he was one of the ones that was, they were trying to say like, uh, oh yeah, you lied on your DUI. And I'm like, what, what are you talking about? Why? You know? So it was just nuts. And, and it did take a while to get hired. Cause I mean, that story sounds fucking crazy even to me. And it happened to me. And so you're trying to explain this to a background investigator and they're like, sure, sure, sure. Until, you know, I ended up, I had ended up got a lawyer and, and fought it and got all the paperwork and shit. And I could show them like, look, you know, I got their, their air quotes here, IA and, and I gave it to one background investigator and and he read through it and he was like, dude, this was like written in crayon. What the, these, these are detectives wrote this. This is bullshit. Okay. Yeah. You're good. <laughs> like, so. Well, yeah, then, I'm glad yeah. it didn't fucking kill your career, man. I mean, it, it damn near did, but I, I, I got through it and then I worked at a second agency for a bit, ended up leaving there just cause it was kind of like you're talking about the super shitty department and, and then, uh, went back to banking for a bit. And then, um, my, uh, buddy who's now my, my business partner, um, he worked at the apartment I'm at now. And, and um, I think he had just made detective or was about to, but he's like, Hey man, you, you got to come back and at least reserve, you know, we're trying to start up a reserve program. So at least come back for that. Like you were a good cop. And, that, and I had met him on the job years before. And so he's like, Hey, you know, just, you got to come back. So I, I came back as a reserve for, for a bit. And I was working for this big bank, making decent money. And then they, the, the chief, the, the former chief at our department kept being like, Hey man, you got to come on full time. And at first it kept being like, I don't know, man, I'm making good money. Well, then the bank I was working for started talking about layoffs and shit. And uh, at that point I was, I was enjoying being back in law enforcement, at least part-time. And so I uh, ended up finally saying that, you know, all right, I'll do that. Talk to my wife. And, and even the chief uh, to his credit, he actually, he knew he had to convince my wife. So he, he got on a freaking, this is the height of COVID. So he, uh, didn't want to meet us, meet us up in person. So he freaking got on a zoom call with my wife and convinced her to, to, uh, to, uh, to let me apply full time and get on that merry-go-round again. And, and then I got hired and fucking here I am doing, uh, doing the, doing the job again. So can you talk about the uh, second department? You said it was super shitty. Yeah. It was also a tribal department and, uh, yeah, so you, so, but, you uh, fucking went back to the well after you got fucked on the first one, then you went oh, yeah. right back. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm a slow learner. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was just, I mean, it wasn't nearly like Wild West. It was a smaller one, but, um, you know, there was like seven of us that were on the department. We worked, I, I worked by myself. I think that was the hard part is, you know, like cops, we do work a lot of solitary, but, you know, I, I think there, we still want some of that camaraderie too. And, and the hard part was, you know, we literally were on 12 hour shifts. And if you were on graveyard, you were the only cop for your, your department. So I'd be there from, you know, freaking 6 PM to 6 AM and no one, no one to fucking talk to except people I pulled over. Um, I ended up getting closer to, uh, my County backup at, at we were in the middle of a couple, a uh, couple different, um, agencies. And, uh, so I, I got closer and still have friends at, at those, at those County agencies. And, and I don't, I don't really know anyone from my old department, you know, yeah, they had their annual Christmas party, but that was about it. You know, you just, you didn't really get to know guys much. And, um, so I ended up leaving there and, um, just kind of got burnt out. I was there for like an another year and a half. And I was just kind of like, Hey man, this, this sucks. And even though the first department was crazy, at least I had people to, on shift to, to go do police work with doing it by yourself too. You know, just like 
it just, I don't know, it just sucks. So I left and was kind of just burnt out and then did a couple of years, like I said, doing the bank investigations thing, which, which at first was awesome, but I know I got bored after a while. So, so while you're kind of in the middle of this burnout shit and working with the banks back and forth, you started, you started doing a little side, side hustle, right? Yeah. So I actually started this when I was at my, that second department, the one that I was just getting burnt out at. And, uh, um, one, one of the things that was both good and bad there, I got a lot of good experience at that department because, um, like I said, we worked by ourselves. So I, I could do a DUI on one, one day and I could do a rape case next, but also no one to bounce it off. You know, that burnout was getting real bad. And so I remember my chief at the time at that department, he bought this big, uh, thin blue line wood flag, um, from someone and hung it up in his office. And I remember looking at that and being like, that doesn't look that hard to make. How much you spend on that? He told me, and it was some ridiculous amount. I think even more than we charge now, um, years later. And I just remember thinking like, like, damn, you paid a lot of money for that. And that looks nice, but that can't be that hard. And, and I've never been like a woodworker. I didn't do shop or anything, but so I was just, I decided I'm, I'm going to go try this. And so, I mean, I still have a picture somewhere of, of my first flag and it was, it by compared to now it was shitty, but I, I think I went and got some cheap wood from Home Depot, some stain. And I just started work on this and um, at home. And, and I think I got freaking like, I painted some stars I got from some craft place my wife went to and painted them and, and freaking glued them on this thing. I had to borrow a saw from my parents. So I made this like blue line flag and then was like, Hey, gave it to the department. I'm like, Hey, here's my first one. You know, I, this was just a cool project. And it was just, I found that when I was doing it, I was like, Oh, like it actually started kind of taking away from that burnout a little bit. It was, it was nice to work on something tangible. And since you, you know, in this job, like, so much of what we do is just the same thing every day. There's nothing tangible. Like, yeah, you turn in a report, but even that that's all digital now. So you don't even see a product, you know? And, and so I, it was nice to, to work on something. And when I was done, I had a physical thing in my hands that I did. And uh, I know when I was working on that, I, I wasn't thinking about the shitty department I was at. I wasn't thinking about the politics or the freaking you know, rape cases I was working or anything like that. All I was thinking was, you know, I found myself kind of, kind of happy. And so, um, I was like, that was cool. And, and I posted a picture on, on freaking Facebook, like, um, or I think the department did like, Hey, look at our officer donated this flag he made. Well, then I started getting friends being like, Hey, I want one. I want one. My, a buddy of mine, uh, one of my best friends from high school, he's a firefighter. He's like, can you make a red line one? So I made one and it was a little bit better. And then, you know, gave it to him. And then I had some people reach cops reaching out and being like, Hey, you know, make me a flag and what you charging. And I'm like charging, I was just doing this for fun. And so I started, um, you know, really little, I think I charged like 25, 50 bucks or something for my first flag. And, and it, it started when they started actually looking nicer and, and, um, and people were like, like you, bro, you really got to start, you got to start charging more. Like you're, you're like, how many hours are you spending on this? And I was spending hours on it. I was hand carving stars. Like I got a fucking chisel and hammer and was doing that. And I was just doing it for fun, but, um, it just started taking off from there. People, you know, just started getting word of mouth and uh, I didn't even have a name for it or anything. And, and so started just selling it. And then uh, I think I, I need, someone's like, you need to start like an Etsy store. So I started one, I had to come up with a name and that was when, um, this was in 2017. So you know that show uh, Vikings? Yeah. I've heard of it. Yeah. Well, that was like at the height of the popularity of that. I think the show's almost over now. It's been like five years, but that was like when it was super popular. And I think like all those, you know, the Thor movies were out and stuff. So I was like, fucking, I don't know, Valhalla Woodworks. And so I named it that. And then, uh, then I found out there was another company called that. So that's when I changed it to like, uh, what it's our current name, Valhalla Woodforge, just changed one of the names. 
Um, and it just started taking off and, uh, I was doing it by myself, like Christmas season, it got crazy. And, and by today's standards, it wasn't, but at the time I was still carving these things by hand. So, you know, you, I get, you know, order of 10 flags or whatever, uh, working on, working as a cop on my days off, I'm just making all these flags and, um, you know, and I kept that after I quit, after I quit there, I was, I ended up just still doing this and it just kept taking off more and more and more. And, um, I ended up starting making these, these, the rings that we make too. Like I started doing that cause, uh, I got married around that time and, uh, we had gotten this ring from some, from some online store that was metal and wood and it fell apart after like fucking six months. And kind of the same way when I saw that flag, uh, my old chief's office, I remember looking at this ring going, I bet I could figure out how to make this and start teaching myself how to, how to make stuff. And, and all the profits I was making at first, I just started putting into like, up the shop and and uh turn it into uh you know buying tools and stuff and and then at some point i actually started making a little bit of money N- nothing nothing crazy but on the, enough that uh, on the side there that i was i was making way more than i was spending and uh which <laughs> made the wife happy and um we ended up buying a house that came with the shop and i outfitted this thing and i started thinking um like my my wife got pregnant and uh we were like well when a baby comes you don't want to be just working all day. And at, at this point I was at the bank. So I had a more free time, but still she's like, you don't want to spend all your nights and weekends in the shop. We're going to have a baby. So, you know, if we started talking about maybe you should bring on some help and, and my, my buddy, Alex, who's, who's now my business partner, he, he at the time he had, he had bought like three flags from us. He was, he was also a volunteer firefighter, I think. And, and he was wrapping that up. So as a going away, he bought like three flags to give to his, his like volunteer department and, um, and different things. And so, he, I, th- I think, I can't remember who brought up the idea first, but we were just talking and he said something like, Oh, I'd love to come learn what you do. And he came out. And then I, I think I said like, why don't I hire you? So I ended up hiring him as, as help. And, um, and, and he was, he was making these and he's, I think he saw the potential, like, dude, this could really go somewhere. So he kept bugging me about buying in. And, and at first I'm like, I don't know, like, this is my baby. I don't know. And he kept saying he wanted to buy in. And so then when we were getting closer to my wife giving birth, I, I was like, you know, I, I do need someone. If I'm going to keep doing this, I need someone. So I, we came up with a number and, and he bought in as a, as a full partner. We ended up um, outfitting him with a second, with a whole nother shop at his house because he lives in the next town over from me. And we just decided like, rather than spend all our money renting a building, let's just do these in our garages still. And so we just, we just took off from there. And then, um, I don't know. It just kept taking off. Uh, when COVID hit, we thought we were going to be done. We had to completely shift. We were going to get a shop at that point. We still had to spend a lot of materials and shit, but we just, we started just, it just started taking off and, and COVID hit and everybody was buying stuff online. And so they started coming to us and also the word of mouth in our local area, but also like online, our ads started going crazy. And I think in 2020, we made over a hundred thousand dollars like just then that was crazy during COVID. Like, and so we ended up hiring a couple more people, um, cops at, we hired a cop at another agency. He's a, he was a detective at the time we hired him. He started making cornhole boards for us. We hired another guy that's a canine officer and kind of the same thing. We're just like, Hey, look, this is just a, a thing we do on the side, make some good money, let give us more time with our families. And I don't know, kind of the rest is history. It just, it just kept taking off and, and not, not enough that any of us could really do it full time or even really want to, but enough that we all kind of, we all kind of took a piece of the business that we want to do. So I, I focus more on the rings and like marketing stuff. And I do some flags during the, the Christmas season. My, my uh, partner, Alex, he does, uh, he kind of oversees all the flags. 
Um, we got one guy who's kind of our tech guru and he, he makes a lot of, he makes all our concealed cabinets where you can conceal, um, lots of things. We don't market it as concealing guns because we don't want to get shut down. We're like, you can conceal whatever you want. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, whatever you want. So I don't, I don't, you know, when Facebook was shutting down, everybody had anything gun related. So we just, we called a, uh, I don't even think we said concealment cabinet. I think we called it hidden cabinet or something, but he designs all those and, and a lot of the other things. So yeah, I just, and we got one guy who does cornhole boards and other things and he wants to learn the rings. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of how that whole thing started. And we just, we still, we try to stay true to our roots. We, um, we do a lot of, uh, donations to like local, basically anything local if law enforcement, fire, military, um, primarily law enforcement. Anytime there's like a fallen officer in our, in our region, we try to donate to the family and we, we most of the time don't even post about that. We just, you know, we go and get a copy of their badge and, and carve it in there and, and try to get it to the family if that's what they want or the department, things like that. Just cause yeah, it's a business, but at the end of the day, it's, it's our side gig. And, um, it was enough that I made enough that when my wife had, when we had our kid, my wife was able to go down to part-time work. So, um, I was making enough doing this, that, uh, between my full-time job and that she was able to go down to part-time, which was pretty awesome. So, well, that's cool that most guys, you know, we all talk about having like an outlet outside of law enforcement and uh, not everybody is able to monetize it. So it's cool that you guys were able to do that. And I can attest to the quality of the uh, craftsmanship because I got a flag down here in my sex dungeon and it, <laughs> it makes the dungeon not poorly made. Just this flag down here, everything out else down here is shitty. Like I haven't lined up any of the posters, right. And everything's a little off kilter. Um, but the flag is well-made. So bravo. Yeah, you got the coin holder one, right? Yeah. It's fucking badass, yeah. man. Yeah. I make all those still. Cause I, I actually, I, I enjoy, I mean, I've been doing this for like five years now, so I got tired of making just the, the regular flags that are over and over again, but I love making those one-offs like, like those coin holders. I love making those. We have another one I make where, uh, um, I actually get like spent uh, like AR shells and I'll actually put them in the, in there, like uh, to, to like down the middle and things like that to kind of give it like a nice line um, through there and, and different things. So we have like, it's like an army flag we usually do or military one. And it's got the freaking, you know, M4 shells in it, stuff like that. I, I like doing, I like doing the one-offs things that are a little bit more challenging and take a little more time. Cause like I said, how I started, it was doing something with my hands and having a tangible thing at the end. So. That's the problem with law enforcement. I know it's not only in law enforcement, but you take a call, you handle it, you're gone. And then there's another, it's like whack-a-mole, right? Where yeah. you hit one down, another one fucking, one of them fuckers pops right back up and you got to do another one. Yeah. So, and, and even if it's a good case, uh, freaking you're, you're going to court on that thing for, for months or years and, and appeals and you're going to, st- I mean, it, it's never, it's never over, but this it's like, you know, I, I make this, I, I get, get some great photos and then I send it off and someone's happy. Most, most of the time they're happy. Although the, the Karens are coming out of the woodwork lately, but most of the time they're happy with this thing and you know, it, it's done, you know, it's like, Hey, I made this thing. Here you go. And, and you can feel like, Hey, I, I finished, I finished it, you know? And I think that's, that was the biggest part is, is you have something that's finished and done and, and uh, to show for your work rather than, you know, years down the way, still getting fucking subpoenaed to it. So, Absolutely. So now you're an SRO, right? Yeah. Which so, I haven't picked on SROs on the page in a while. I'll have to do that. Um, how's that, man? Because that sounds like a terrible job. Um, I actually always swore I would never do it. But man, I, I, I fucking love it, man. It's um, I've been doing it since November. 
Um, it opened in August. Um, we didn't even have one for a year and a half. So we, it is kind of the perfect storm um, with all the, the in 2020 with the schools getting shut down for COVID and then all the freaking, you know, post Floyd riots and stuff. And everybody was jumping on the anti-police bandwagon. We had this super woke school board at the time and in principal and, and they just, they just ended up getting rid of our SRO program. But then our city actually had an election and, and they were, our city is actually pretty pro police. And so they yeah. got kind of pissed off about that. And they, they replaced a couple of those school board members. Um, I don't know, I'm super simplifying these politics, but that's my understanding of it is they, those ones got replaced. Um, and they brought in, um, I, I want to say conservative, but I don't mean like, like super right or left, but just kind of like common sense kind of thing, kind of common sense conservative who just were like, Hey, like SROs are needed. And that was one of the things they campaigned on. They got elected that principal who hated cops. Uh, I think she moved on somewhere else. And uh, the new one was, was pretty pro police. Um, you know, I mean, as much as school administrators can be, but I put <laughs> yeah, <up> that's <laughs> the true thing. Like there is some, unfortunately there's some schools in my beat and you could definitely get along with the admin, but you know, the people there didn't yeah. like you. Well, it, yeah. And that's the biggest thing I've had to learn is like, at the end of the day, like I, I still watch my P's and Q's and, and they, they honestly swear way more than I do when I'm there. And I mean, I, I have a mouth on me. I'm also in the Coast Guard. I'm a sailor, but I try to, I really keep that quiet when I'm there and, and I don't care how comfortable I am with them at the end of the day. Like they're not, they're, they're colleagues. Sure. But they're not really my coworkers. Not like the PD is, you know? So I gotta, at the end of the day, these are, these are people that don't freaking deal with what we deal every day with, you know, with, so I, I still mind my P's and Q's, but yeah, I, I put in for it. Um, I, I got actually kind of talked into it again. Alex, my, my business partner was like, Hey man, like, I think you'd really be a good fit for this. Um, one of the sergeants I respected and worked with, um, had previously been an SRO and then a detective and which is still what I want to do. I want to eventually go detective route. And, and they were, they all were like, listen, you really need to do this because you're going to deal with juvenile crime and you're like dude with kids and, um, you know, it's, you, sh- you should really, I think you'd be great at this. And they, they kind of talked me into it and I applied and, um, there was a couple of us that put in for it and, and I ended up getting it. And, um, it's a lot more work than I thought in a different way than I thought. Um, I have a pretty huge caseload. Um, I'm working my own sex cases. So like all these kids that ha- need mandatory reporters and they, they tell somebody and they come talk to me and, and I'm handling that. I mean, I'm working with the detectives, but I'm, I'm working my own. I'm doing, um, a lot of mentorship stuff, which is, I actually think it's kind of cool too. So like a lot of times when these kids kind of screw up on something rather than going and citing them for freaking, you know, minor possession or something else, you know, a lot of times they're letting the school discipline handle it the first time, but then they'll bring me in to kind of talk about different things. Like, um, I don't know if it's like a harassment thing and, you know, kind of be like, Hey, if you were an adult, these are the crimes you would have committed. And, and it'll be like meetings with them and their parents and be like, we're not hitting you with this now, but like, you need to understand what the consequences of this are if this behavior continues. Um, and for the most part, we've seen a lot of success with that. A lot of the kids mi- minus a couple, most of them have actually already like taken that to heart. Didn't truly didn't know their kids. They don't, you know, they don't know that they're committing crimes when they're doing these things and the cyber bullying and all this shit that they're doing. They're not realizing that, you know, some of this stuff actually, you know, I, I, I like one example, a girl threatened another girl over social media, but at school and off. And then I think he even went to her house and like took pictures of the victim's house and was like, you know, I'm going to fuck you up later kind of thing. And had to be like, Hey, you know, that actually fits an Oregon statute menacing. Like you put her in fear of danger and reasonably so, and really talk to her about it. And, um, you know, she had like that typical teenager attitude in this meeting, but, um, 
I think she actually took it to heart because she hasn't been a problem since her, you know, parents were in on that and they had a talk with her. And, you know, cause I was like, yeah, if you were 18, if you were an adult or if this happens again, that's, that's go to jail. And uh, I don't think you want to screw up your life with that. And so that's been pretty cool to see is a lot of these kids, may, maybe they won't actually turn into those uh, customers of ours that were taken to jail repeatedly. So that, that's been pretty cool too. So it's, I get to see both sides. And, and then, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm still in uniform. I still have a badge. So when, when school's out, um, out of session, I'm either jumping in with the detectives if they need help or I'm taking a patrol shift or um, for us, like on Wednesdays, school gets out early. So you know, before the end of my day. So I'll just go out and start just humping calls if I want or jumping in on stuff. You know, I don't really get dispatched to stuff if it's not school related. So I can go out and kind of be incognito and just go hunt if I want. And I'll, and I'll go do that. And it, I think it's hilarious because I, I got our admin to give me um, like a school resource officer patch for the back of my vest. We have external vests. So I have this, that, and, and I'm authorized to wear like school stuff as part of my uniform. So sometimes I'll be wearing like our freaking high school like sports hat, which is like a different color than our, you know, it's like red and has like the the logo from the school and stuff. And I'll jump in and end up like arresting somebody. And then these guys are like the fucking school resource officer got me. And it's just, it's hilarious to, just to see like the shame on these people's face when I'm the one that ends up catching them. That's awesome. So, I don't know. I wanted to touch on something you said, because I think sometimes we forget or hell, even I did, I think, towards the end, is how much that role of being a cop, you can mentor people. And you, you, you said that word specifically mentor. I mean, not that all of us had time to do it, but I mean, I know there's a few times the way you conduct business on calls with kids, that's mm-hmm. huge. That's huge. Because, you know, maybe the kids have parents that don't know how to act, but then they see how you act and they're like, well, wait a second maybe my parents aren't normal and that can plant a little seed in their brain. So they're protective members of society down the line or shit, even yeah. at the school, man. I, I mean, I really like that, that you guys, and I don't know shit about SROs. So maybe that maybe that's something all SROs do. Cause my, my, you know, my, you know, grumpy patrol guy, Oh, that SRO, all he does is fucking sit in his office. He doesn't do dick and he never answers when I call him. And you know, my, my perception of SROs is basically dudes that don't want to do work and, sit in the office, but that's probably not being fair. That was probably just being a grumpy patrol piece of shit. But I think that is a, you know, a valid thing is that saves work potentially down the line is, you know, maybe get yeah. a hold of these kids before they, you know, cause again, like we were talking about the drug stuff, like you don't, you don't need to go to jail because you're a drug addict, but you don't need to necessarily, a kid does something dumb. That doesn't necessarily mean you have to puck and put paper on them. Exactly. And that's, that's my biggest goal. And, and I, and one thing I really like too, is we have uh, previous SROs worked with the system and, and they actually have this whole thing set up at our schools with, um, with the juvenile department where it's a diversion. So the first time that they get caught with like drugs or something, they can go in this diversion program rather than getting expelled and they have to do like UAs and stuff, but, and like they do drug counseling and cause they're fucking kids, man. I mean, this is middle school and high schoolers. Like they, they, they tried weed, they try, they try other stuff. And then maybe instead of putting paper on them, we can get them to do it. And, and that the success rate is, I think it's somewhere between like 60, 70%, which might seem low, but I'm also like, okay, well that's, that's still, even if it was only 50%, I'm like, that's still 50% of these kids that normally would just get paper on them and turn into these little druggies that are skipping school all the time. And, and 50% of them are actually able to 
to get off this, have clean UAs for, I don't remember even how many months. And then because the school handles most of that. Um, and then they, they end up going back to class and end up not being a problem ever again. And, you know, it's like, okay, like, you know, we all did stupid stuff in high school and do we really want that to follow you around forever? Because, you know, you had an overzealous, you know, school cop or something that threw paper on you. And I, I'm, that's, that's the way I look at it. That's the way I won over a lot of those school administrators. I told them, look, like, I'm not here to bust kids unless they're really victimizing other kids. Um, I'm here to, to be like really the resource and the mentor and to keep these kids safe, you know, school shooter training, things like that. I help a lot with that stuff. And, um, you know, and a lot of these drills help plan that. And so that really won them over. And, and in fact, like a lot of these, um, we have some kind of more woke administrators who are now at first were really wary of me. And now they're the first ones to come to me when they're like, Hey, I think, you know, this kid might've been sexually assaulted and they, they're not ready to talk to you yet, but I, I and they haven't even, you know, they haven't even told the administrator enough to be a manager reporter. They're like, God, you know, they're hinting at it. They're like, Oh, I think something happened to this kid, but I want you to get a heads up. And they're coming to me like first now. And like the fact that someone who, you know, literally has all these like, you know, BLM posters and, and anti-racist racism uh, books on their shelf is like walk in my office door. First thing, you know, they think of is, Hey, can I run this by you? Hypothetically, you know, that's, I think that's, that's also a win. And then, even with all this anti-police stuff, really just uh, just being there at the school and talking to the kids and and kind of showing them that like, listen, like I'm I'm a human being, like um, I'm you know, and and that's why I wear this uniform too at at the school, so they get comfortable with me and and yeah, maybe they're at home with hearing all this stuff, or their parents are like, you know, fuck the police and all this stuff, but then they're they're seeing me and they're meeting me every day, and and I'm handing out stickers and, and doing goofy stuff and hanging out. They, they all know me by my first name. You know, I tell them, I'm like, here's just call me my first name, you know, whatever. And I just let the kids come talk to me anytime. And um, I think hopefully, you know, even just beyond the criminal stuff, that's how I think we, we turn the tide of some of this anti-police stuff is you gotta, you gotta start young and show them that, you know, I, yeah, your parents might think it's, it's this, but you know, parents probably also screwed up and did something they shouldn't have or, or their buddy did, but you know, like they're meeting me and getting to know me and realizing that I'm not a hard ass on this stuff that I'm really there to help them. And I think that's going to be what turns the tide. Yeah, man. Changing hearts and minds. And that's, that's actual humanizing the badge, not dancing on TikTok, You fucks. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> Someone buddy, asked me if I you... wanted to do a TikTok, and I was like, fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, I hate to cut this short, but because my yard is flooding, I have to, we have to do a slightly, well, not too slightly, but a little shorter <laughs> podcast than normal, but yeah, no worries. we, we got to hit some of the, the stuff that I normally like to get before we get out of here. First question, Crown Vicks. Uh, yeah, that's what I started on in all those pursuits. Hell yeah. Hell yeah, brother. I don't care what anybody <laughs> says. I don't even care. I, mean, I, I got a freaking, I mean, I have a take home car, but it's a freaking soccer mom explorer. So I'll, I, I, I will, I will gladly, if they ever wanted to go back to, uh, to Crown Vicks, I'd gladly take that instead. Do you have the EcoBoost though? No, I don't even have that, man. Uh, I see, got guys, when I, when I rip on the Explorers, that's why, guys, I know some of you guys have the good ones. A lot of us have the terrible ones. Yeah. It's bad. I mean, it's not like we can do pursuits anyway, so whatever. But hey, you know, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> the uh, the question everybody waits for. I know this is the only reason people listen to the podcast, but sir, have you ever shit your pants as an adult? Uh, no. But oh, I, liar! No, I have not. I've been close. Uh, but one of the funniest calls I ever went on. 
uh, as a cop involved that. I mean, if you got time for a real quick story. Yeah, let's go. So this is back at my second agency working by myself. And, and I had, I think I had to run some paperwork out to fucking County. I don't remember why. So I'm outside of my city and I see this car, you know, you know what, you know what I'm talking about, like a shitbox car. It's all over the road. It's the middle of the night. You know, they're up to no good. This is still when drugs are illegal here. So I pull it over and they're just shady. It's just, it's this male driver, female passenger, and they're just shady. And so you, you do the typical thing. You ask the driver, um, you know, their story. And then you go back to your car and you come back and ask the passenger, they're going to start changing. So I, I get the, the driver's bullshit story about where they're going and, and we're out in the middle of nowhere. Backups 20 minutes away and they're on their way, but it's still taking a while. And so I go talk. And as I'm talking to the female passenger, trying to verify their bullshit story, literally like, I was just, where are you coming from? Where are you going? The, the driver is just like, uh, ex- excuse me, sir. Excuse me. And he's super timid. And, and I'm just like, Yes. And he goes, do you, do you have any napkins? Why? Uh, I, I, I just, and then he just looks down at his lap and shame and he goes, I just shit my pants. And I'm like, <laughs> and I, 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 I'm literally speechless. And I just kind of tilt my head and look at the passenger and she just literally like, they must've rehearsed this or something. Cause she just, without missing a beat, shrugs her shoulders, looks at me and goes, he had a lot of coffee. And I'm just like, <laughs> All right. So I'm like, give me a second. I go back, get finish up their paperwork. Like, and I'm just going to cut them out. Cause at this point I'm like, I don't get paid enough for this. And the guy gets out while I'm like, you know, finishing up with their stuff and I'm not even citing him, but the guy gets out and he's like, is it all right? If I, if I go wipe myself off, I found some napkins and I'm like, sure, that's fine. So he starts running towards this tree line we were parked next to. And sure enough, as he's running, he's wearing like khakis and I can see he just shat his pants completely and i was thinking he was gonna go dump some drugs no i mean he probably was but he also did that and so as he's running over there that's commitment um yeah and he but then it gets crazy he's running over this tree line and as he goes in the tree line all of a sudden i just see him drop like out of sight like like drop down and i'm like oh shit i think there's a river over there and so i go sprinting over there like oh my god i'm gonna like this it's like middle winter this guy's gonna freeze to death fell in this river down this riverbank and then i just see these two hands pop back up on the riverbank and then his head pop up he's like i'm fine <laughs> i'm like oh my god i'm getting out of here so i just i threw their paperwork and i was like all right guys like you have a safe night and i just got in my car and i turned around i didn't even finish writing and we have like the mdts and put like some cad notes and stuff and i was like i'm not even gonna do this here i just like flipped a yui and like drove two miles down the road to pull over and finish my paperwork before one of them did something crazier so that sounds that like was probably my, that's like the funniest i just love this shrug like not even missing a beat like he had a lot of coffee, coffee. like they, they probably were drug running and that was their plan like oh if we get pulled over i'm just gonna shit my pants like but i was just like fine you know what you win today like that's commitment that so. is commitment <laughs> yeah i i stopped the dude once and he's like hey and he, he blew a red light and he's like i'm gonna straight up with you and he was sweating he's like i'm i have to go take a shit <laughs> And I was like, me being a guy that uh, has some bowel problems occasionally, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to take this dude's word for it. Hopefully he didn't just kill somebody. All right, dude, you're good. Didn't even get his information. Yep. <laughs> just let him go. Yeah. Speaking of humanizing the bat, the badge, yeah. like, you know what? Yeah. I'm not going to sit here and write your paper and make you shit your pants. Go. Like, yeah. I hope that guy was at the fucking protest being like, hey, I was going to shit my pants and the cop let me go. So uh yeah hashtag humanize the badge yeah hopefully (laughs) yeah now uh the next question i have here is this is a newer question 
your thoughts on a cop with OnlyFans, and I, and I have to narrow that down because I did some research. OnlyFans, I guess, is a lot of stuff. Uh, it's not just nudies, but a mm. cop that has an research, OnlyFans. Huh? Say what now? Uh, research, huh? You had to do your research. Yeah, I was researching with my pants down. Um, well, it's tax deductible, man. If it's for your business, right? <laughs> it is, yeah. It, well, because I thought, how funny would it be to have a, a fucking OnlyFans and I just had pictures of my Crown Vic? Um, but anyway, <laughs> but anyway, so it is, uh, it is different stuff. So, what are your thoughts and opinions on a cop, male or female, of any rank? That is on OnlyFans with nudies or having sex. I mean, I think, I mean, I have a side hustle. I think like hypothetically it should be okay, but we all know in today's age, it's not. I mean, that's, that's the thing is it's just like, as much as it, it should be, we all know that perception's everything. And I think that um, not to get too serious here, but I think like we, we got to do better on some things and, and the, the amount of stupidity that, that cops are doing sometimes like, yeah, there's a lot of these things blowing out of proportion, but you know, you see some of these videos of people doing stuff or, or getting caught doing stuff. And I'm just like, you're the fucking reason everyone hates us or, or at least thinks that we're not a profession. And I think that's, that's the thing that it, it's, it's, it's hard is it's like, yeah, it's, it's your job and you should be able to have a side hustle and, and really like your sexuality or whatever should be no one's business, but you're putting it out there for all the world to see. And now, you know, you're pulling someone over and it gets out there public and, you know, where I'm pulling someone over and they're like, Oh, you're that department that has the hot chick or, you know, the dude or whatever that, you know, is getting pegged or something. I don't know. You know, that, that becomes what it's about. Right. So you're sitting there like, that's not even you, but you're, you got to know that. And I think it's, it's kind of like that case law thing we talked about earlier, man. Like, I think it's just, no one wants to have that be the bad name. And I think that that's, that's where I can see it. I mean, I can see it both ways where, yeah, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be anyone's business. But the thing is, you're making it out there and, it, and it'd be it's kind of the same, like why, you know, like a lot of these so-called celebrity cops, you know, are, aren't, aren't even cops anymore. These YouTube cops. Right. Because because even though they're doing funny stuff or whatever, and they're trying to humanize the badge or maybe they're just trying to make a buck. I don't know. Like you're out there as a celebrity. And if you say the wrong thing, it, it doesn't just affect you and your department. It can affect the whole profession. And I think that's, that's I was going to say, do you is. think I could do this podcast and still be on the job? No way. Yeah, no yeah, way. Well, I mean, it depends. It depend on your department, but you would have to probably tone it back. <laughs> I mean, yeah, exactly. And that, then it wouldn't be what I wanted it to be. And I, I guess the other thing is kind of like we were talking about with the drug stuff. And in theory, legalizing all drugs sounds great because it should be personal responsibility. But then you're not taking into all the other things in the gray area and all the other lives that affects. Um, because you get yeah. that load blowed on your face that can affect other people. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, all jokes aside, it does, you know, I think you think about if you're at a small department, like even my department, I'm in a small city and you know, we're in an area that already is looking for any reason. I mean, I'm, I'm honestly like, like 30 minutes from Portland. So like where everything goes down. So like everything, they're always looking for reasons to hang us up. Uh, it well, it shouldn't matter. I think it's kind of like the dancing TikTokers, like, you start bringing discredit to stuff then it just i think it's the hard part man like and it's one of the costs when you do want to do this job you know is that that you got you know we all know that fucking cops are under scrutiny i mean we we have protesters showing up at cops houses like in our area like when they get into shootings like you're you're 
this one of the costs of this job is knowing that. And so why would you put yourself on fucking OnlyFans? Well, and, and here and here's that a, extra. A, yeah. Well, as I say, here's a shout out to Officer Privacy. If go get that shit, because then they can't find your house. But go on. Oh yeah, that's a, no. I I'm actually I was just listening to your podcast and was like I've heard it all sorts of, and I was like God, I need to fucking do that because they're due to my area. They they are showing up and and at, you know we had a Portland officer that shot someone fully justified and he lives in one of the towns near me like one of the suburbs and they they had this whole operation where they were fucking like showing up this guy's house and that town was all dealing with that so then we're end up having to take their calls you know for service so that they can protect this this officer and so you know that's that's just doing your job and now now you're gonna get like stalkers i don't know man it's just it's it's just i think that that if you're gonna take this job you gotta understand that you give up certain things and if they, if you can't do that, then I, it's fine. Leave. Like, I think that that's totally fine. This job isn't meant for everybody. And, and even if it is meant for you, it's not meant for everybody forever. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I've left before. Oh, fuck. I might leave again at some point if I get burned out. And so, or, or if I want to start an only fans, who knows? So. <laughs> yeah, exactly, man. <laughs> um, I'm, sh- I'm sure people pay to see, see my awesome face. <laughs> I'm going to do only Vix because nobody wants to see my face. Uh, we probably could ask this a little bit earlier, but Oregon is the job dead in Oregon. No, I, I think the pendulum is starting to swing back. Not as fast as we'd like. Um, there is a lot of talk right now that, that they're probably going to do some rider bills to, to fix some of this drug issue thing. Cause they're realizing like, Oh shit, we may have gone way too far. Um, I, I think it's just it's just a pivot right now. Like pursuits are 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 basically gone in most places anywhere near Portland. Um, there's still some agencies that do it, but I think there's there's some interesting things that are being done to try to try to pivot with that. So I know like I have a buddy at another department and um, out in Central Oregon, which is kind of a ways from everything, but even they're not immune to this whole anti-pursuit thing. But what they do is they got these fucking uh, tracker things where they they will chase them long enough to shoot this fucking little dart into their car with a gps and then they immediately back off and they can watch it on their on their freaking mdts see where it goes and they can start chase pursuit. yeah they're the getting thing. drones and shit and and they're uh, and and i told that to my my chief and he's like dude find out about that let's let's maybe do something like that because he's he's sick of it too because you know i mentioned we, we have a new chief and, and he he's he's like a cop's cop at heart and uh and he's like, yeah, he, he understands there's a lot about liability and, and chases. And, and the last chief basically took mostly took that away. And he understands why. But he's like, OK, well, if we can't chase in a car, we still got to catch these criminals because they want us to keep the city safe. So how do we do it? And I told him about that. And he's like, get, get me the info. Maybe we'll do that. They're talking about a drone team. They're talking about how can we use fucking technology to to do this? And, and so I, I don't think the job is dead. I think it's it's changing. And you just got to you got to figure out ways to be proactive and just like we talked about with the dope man like dope's basically basically dead in some ways but we can still get it on on by bus and i know there's towns around us that are starting these the little not little towns but little suburbs are starting fucking street crimes teams to do this and because it's like okay you can't do it in cars anymore and we're losing mobile vehicle but we can still go after the drug dealers that are are messing up our our cities right so let's do it another way and i think that's what we're starting to see is is those those who who are able to or, or can pivot? Those are the ones that are able to are able, just like any business throw, right? I mean, you get hardships and you can pivot, and you gotta if you stick with the old way, you'll you'll die, and if you move on, you can figure out new ways to do it. So 
the answer is yes and no. That's a long-winded way. <laughs> yeah. Law, so. law enforcement's always had to change. I mean, the, the job has changed tremendously in the last 30 years. I will say really quick on Star Chase, uh, those fuckers figured out what you're doing and they will stop and pull it off and leave it in the street. It's pretty funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, real quick, because uh, this is actually the first podcast where I'm going to have to end too because I'm about to shit my pants. <laughs> Do you have any words of wisdom for everybody out there listening to the podcast? Yeah. I mean, I, like we talked about my side gig, man, like if you're, if you're a cop and, and you need like, find, find something and don't always monetize it. That's been one, one thing I didn't really touch on is, is now even, even that I'm getting, getting a little burnout on, on the business, but that's why I hire people so I can do only the parts I like, but find, find something you got to, if you just live for the job, then you're going to burn out and leave. And then you're going to have nothing like find something that, that you can like. And, and I burn out and left and I still have that, that business. And then I came back and I still have that business. And so it's, it's nice to have something. So I think that's just, I don't know whether it's a martial art or freaking crocheting and probably not only fans since we already talked about that, but find something that you can do that, that gives you that, that, that feeling I was talking about that we were talking about something tangible not, a, not, it's not woodworking for everyone, but find something that you can do. That's not, that's not the job. And that, that gives you that satisfaction and, and you can take your stress out on, on that instead of, you, you know, the family or, or yelling at them. So that, that'd be my piece of advice. Love it, man. All right. Well, with that said, we're going to wrap up this podcast because uh, my dogs are barking because there's somebody at my door and I have to shit my pants. So we'll see how this is going right. to go. But uh, right. like always guys, uh, be safe, all that good shit, take care of each other. Remember there's been a lot of, violence against cops and it's really continued even since the last podcast so make sure you're taking care of one each other man and uh we'll talk soon love most of you bye-bye <laughs> <laughs>